Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. Warning, the following podcast contains descriptions of death and language some may find offensive. You are about to partake in a dead bug podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe. If you don't, tell your enemies, send them my way. Hey, I'm not picky. This podcast is part one of Blood Relatives. The story of Fritz Klenner and Susie Newsom. It was in 1980, the 32-year-old Susie Newsom was taken by her mother Florence to see a Dr. Fred Klenner. She just returned from a teaching assignment in Taiwan. Her mother, concerned by her daughter's failing health, demanded that she see the physician. Susie had been born into a prominent North Carolina family. Her father, Robert Newsom, was a big shot at R.G. Reynolds Tobacco Company. And her mother's family, the Sharps, were from old money. Susie was named after her aunt, who had been the first woman elected Supreme Court Justice. So her family was very well connected. Her uncle, who was the doctor, was a popular but controversial figure in the town. He'd made his name by delivering quadruplets who'd all survived, which at the time was very rare for a high-risk birth. So it made him a local celebrity. Lectures, books, a real big shot. And it became a right to brag if you were delivered by Dr. Klenner. And Susie was part of that illustrious group. A popular figure, but not only in his public life, but his private, he made a lot of enemies. Coming from a strict, kraut Catholic family, when he met Annie Sharp, a strict Protestant and married her, it caused a lot of bad feelings in the town. The forward-thinker physician was also an early proponent of vitamin C and believed that that, along with other natural remedies, could cure a number of illnesses, including MS, which in the 1940s was virtually considered witchcraft. Dr. Klenner believed that with a healthy diet and a supplement of vitamins, most notably vitamin C, an individual could turn around almost any illness. But this didn't sit too well with a lot of people who were in the pharmaceutical company's pockets. Within a few years, Klenner, with his miracle cures, became well known and people traveled from all over the country to seek his advice and cures. Although many of his fellow physicians saw what the doctor was doing as witchcraft selling snake oil to the masses. But that wasn't the only thing that rubbed people up the wrong way about the good doctor. He was the first physician to advocate reusing needles. 
and that sterilization was good enough to stop germs and disease from spreading, which obviously cut into the profits of the pharmaceutical companies that made and sold the needles. Even in the 1980s, with the onslaught of the gay cancer, now known as AIDS, that was spreading from asshole to asshole like fire from a candle-carrying retard in a curtain factory. But Klenner still insisted in reusing his needles. Which is pretty fucked up if you think about it. No thanks, doctor. I'll take one of those new needles over there on the shelf. But worse than the AIDS needles, what really caused controversy was that the doctor had a segregated waiting room. Black people had to wait on one side and whites on the other. And this was in the 1980s when half of his patients were tuning into the Cosby show each week. So it caused friction. But most people put this down to the caring doctor being from a different era, and they forgave him because he was such a good doctor. But there was many who called it out for what it was, blatant racism. But regardless of all this, black patients, white patients, it didn't matter the doctor were popular, he got results and people swore by the diet and the medications he gave them. Susie Newsom had been raised in a rich and influential family. And from an early age, the little princess got what she wanted. At birth, diagnosed with a heart murmur, the surgeon told the parents it would be best if they tried to avoid the baby crying, as it may be a risk to her health. So the parents gave the child whatever she wanted, which did her no favors, and her temper tantrums became the talk of the town. The child, who was rarely told no, became a monster. Her mother went on record saying that the only way she could get Susie to calm down was throwing a bucket of ice-cold water on her. Which is the only way I can get my grandmother to shut up as well. Susie was problematic from the first day she entered this world. When Susie was just a day old and still in the hospital, a woman who'd suffered a stillbirth in the same ward snatched her from her cart. Smuggling her out of the maternity ward, she was stopped just as she tried to get into a cab. And after that, the parents became hyper-protective of the child and swore never to let her out of their sight again. Growing up, Susie was quite the looker. And every guy wanted to get into her pants. And she soaked it up. But she was remembered by most of her fellow students as being nasty as a rattlesnake. As a teenager, she became obsessed with England's royal family, even having pictures and posters on the wall of the princes and duchess. Many people thought it was because she herself thought she were royalty, better than the common folk. And let's be honest here, in North Carolina, there's more common folk than not. Raised in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, after high school, she attended Wakefield University, a private school in the middle of town. Where just like in high school, everybody was trying to push her little panties aside to get some. Throughout school, she got top grades with her medical and political connections. I guess you could say that she would ride in a gravy train with biscuit wheels. Those who knew Susie at the time say that she could do anything she wanted if she put her mind to it. And although she apparently had the pick of the litter, she settled on one Tom Lynch, a basketball star and student two years her junior, whose family also came from money and were well connected. Good looking guy, easy going personality. The college basketball star and undergrad was proud to 
bring his new girlfriend home to meet his parents, who are now living in Kentucky. But right from the onslaught, when Tom brought his new love interest home to meet his parents, there was friction. His mother couldn't stand Susie, thought she were an uppity bitch, who thought she was better than anybody else, and it didn't sit well with Kentucky's easy-going, laid-back, mint-julep crowd. And Susie thought that Dolores was a meddling old piece of crusty bread that smelled like ham. I added the ham part myself, creative license. And she didn't mind telling her son how she felt about Susie. But Tom had his face so far up her pussy, he couldn't see the light of day. And Dolores, knowing her son, and sensing that he was getting serious with this social climber, and warned him that she didn't think it was a good idea for him or the family. And when Susie found out what Dolores had said, the war was on. But I guess that didn't matter to Tom Lynch, because he married Susie on June 6th. 1970. But even on the day of the wedding, Susie was acting like a huge bitch and got into a fight with Dolores that almost canceled the day's events. Dolores did her best to give the bridezilla whatever she wanted, but the demands kept coming and coming. But it all kicked off when Susie's wedding dress arrived wrinkled, and she blamed Dolores for trying to sabotage her special day, which caused a very public argument. And the pictures that day? Well, they tell a story on their own. As Tom had just graduated, the newlyweds moved to Lexington, Kentucky, where he'd been accepted into dental school and to be close to his family. And Susie got a job at a research lab. But the hate that his new bride felt for her mother-in-law was unabated. And in the first four years of living only down the road from his family, they only visited once. After graduating from dental school, Tom joined the Navy Reserve and the couple moved to South Carolina. And it was in 1974 that Susie and Tom had their first child. Ecstatic that she had a first grandson named Baby John, Dolores showed up at the couple's home to visit the baby. But Susie stopped her cold at the door and told her that the couple were busy and that she'd have to stay at a hotel and make an appointment when it were more convenient for them. The new grandmother left in tears. And Susie would keep her son John, and her second one soon to come, away from Dolores for the rest of their lives. Their second son James, born in 1976, his grandmother didn't get a chance to see the child until he was two and a half years old. No one could hold a grudge as long as Susie. It was in 76 that Tom and Susie relocated their young family to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where Tom started his new dental practice. But the move was a culture shock for Susie, used to being a member of North Carolina's cultural elite. Snobby, treating people like dirt. It didn't go down so well in Albuquerque, which mainly consisted of Indians and glue sniffers. Of course, I'm joking here, and there are also some alcoholic unemployed people. It didn't take long for Susie to despise Albuquerque, and she started bad-mouthing it to whoever would listen. Whenever she was in social situations with Tom and his friends, she'd brag about the shops from North Carolina and how low-class it was in Albuquerque. Needless to say, if there's any chances of Susie integrating herself into Albuquerque society, she made sure that she not only burnt her bridges, but she blew them the fuck up. And not surprisingly, things weren't going too well at home. She was unhappy with the life that she had been given. 
and felt it were below her standards, a husband who enjoyed hunting and fishing. She felt it was for hillbillies, while she preferred to be visiting art exhibits and museums. She also thought that someone should be taking care of their young kids, and it shouldn't be her. It was beneath a woman of fine breeding to do such things. The couple started drifting apart, but worse still, Susie started abusing the children. With multiple times, the kids ending up in the hospital with unexplained injuries, lacerations, concussions, broken wrists. The youngest son, Jim, spent three days in the hospital with a concussion and serious cuts on his face. Doctors were told that he'd fallen out of his bunk bed. Playing in the front yard, a neighbor saw the boy with his face all cut up and asked Jim what had happened, and the young boy said that he'd fallen, and Susie stepped in and said, no, he didn't. I slapped him. The shocked neighbor said, you must have slapped him good. She said, I did. Right across the room, the neighbor and her husband debated whether to tell the young boy's father, but decided not to as they didn't want to seem like busybodies, and admitted fearing Susie. It was in 1979 when the two children were just five and three. Susie got word that her grandfather was sick. She told Tom that she would be taking the boys back to North Carolina for a while to spend time with her family and her grandfather. It was shortly after arriving that she contacted Tom and told him that she wouldn't be coming back and that she was filing for divorce and that she were keeping the kids full custody. And at first Tom wanted to fight it, but with the ages of the young boys and the distance between North Carolina and New Mexico, it was pointless. By all accounts, Susie took Tom to the cleaners. Half of the house, alimony, child support, half of his dental practice, and he had to pay for her to go back to university for four years. But with even that, the Ice Queen wasn't happy, and she bitched that the kids were holding her back from the things that she should have had in her life. It was a short time after this that she got word that Tom was having a relationship with one of his young dental assistants. Nice. And Susie was furious, and she told Tom he'd never see the kids again, and withheld all visitation. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. It was at school that Susie had enjoyed languages, and she got the idea to move to Asia to teach English. She applied for a teaching job in Taiwan, and she got it. And she was bringing the kids with her. Both Tom and her mother didn't agree, but she was the only one with custody and could do what she liked, so she packed the kids up 
left for Taiwan. But Taiwan weren't like one of those amazing all-you-can-eat Chinese buffets with the yummy chicken balls. It was a dirty, filthy place where everybody was running around without their shoes on. All there was to eat was noodles. There were cockroaches in the apartment. Seemed that every day you had the shits, high medical bills. So Susie packed up and got the fuck out of there. When her mother saw her, she was shocked at the condition of her and the kids. It was at this point on a connection stopover in Chicago that Dolores, Tom's mother, got to see the children for the last time. And she said that it was the only occasion that her daughter-in-law had seemed glad to see her. And she could tell that the country had taken its toll on the young family. One thing that everyone had noticed on Susie's return and how protective she had now become with the young boys, worried about germs, injuries, watching their every movement. She was the only mother who would wait for her sons at the bus stop as they left for school and be there when they returned. Had Susie changed? Now with Susie and her two sons back in the U.S., Tom and his mother, they wanted to see him. But this is something that Susie wasn't going to be bending on so easily. And besides, she hadn't forgot that Tom was still banging his young assistant. And only a couple of months after the couple had separated. But still paying a hefty child support tab, Tom was unable to afford the regular flights back and forth from New Mexico to North Carolina. So he suggested that the boys fly over on their own to see him. But Susie fought it with a lawyer saying that the boys were too young to travel. So he ended up paying return tickets for both of the boys as well as for Susie to accompany them. On a dentist's salary, along with the other commitments of the dentist, it was too much for the father and he had to wait two years to see his kids. It was around this time that Susie began seeing her uncle Dr. Klenner for treatments and regained her health. Dr. Klenner had diagnosed her with MS and he started treating her with vitamin shots. At this point, she felt well enough to go back to university as an anthropology major with her ex-husband flipping the bill. But a pattern was starting to emerge with Susie saying she hated the university because her professors were idiots. And she eventually quit enrolling in a community college taking a business course. Her mother even saw the pattern and told a friend I think we have a professional student on our hands. While Susie was receiving treatment from her uncle, Dr. Klinner, she became reacquainted with his son and her first cousin, Fritz. Fritz, seven years her junior, had never been close to his pretty cousin. I guess because she was hot and he were a fucking dork. Fritz was now assisting his father in the medical practice while apparently going to medical school. And although the little creep wasn't a doctor, would often accompany his father to the hospital on his rounds, bizarrely also wearing a doctor's jacket with a stethoscope. His father would let him draw blood from patients. It's pretty clear that he worshipped his father and wanted to emulate him. Patients called him Young Dr. Klinner. Although people who knew Fritz weren't so complimentary, with other students calling him Dr. Crazy, which is pretty catchy, although may I suggest Dr. Fucktard? From an early age, Fritz was a gun enthusiast, and he'd attempted to own every weapon that was ever made. Machine guns, rifles, antique handguns, and often was seen wearing camouflage outfits with knives strapped to his belt and it would disappear into the woods, sometimes for days. Even when Susie was a teenager, she told her friends that her young cousin scared her and that he seemed unbalanced, looking like Spark had fucked a goat and they had a kid. Besides, Susie loathed anything to do with the outdoors and she couldn't wear white gloves too. 
And while she'd grown up admiring England's royal family, Fritz, on the other hand, had a hard-on for Hitler. And classmates remember him being fixated on the Nazi leader, even growing the same mustache. He studied every aspect of the Jew annihilator's life, reading Mein Kampf, collected Nazi memorabilia, and talked incessantly about how burning up Jews would be a good coal replacement for developing third world countries. I don't think Greta Thunberg's gonna like that. But Fritz was also like his father in many ways. A strong proponent of vitamin C and natural healing methods. He carried a big black medical bag wherever he went, packed with vitamins that he called stress relief pills, offering them to anyone with an ailment, including giving them injections, which is pretty fucked up considering he weren't a doctor. It seems his fixation with vitamins, most notably vitamin C, was just as bad as his fixation with Hitler. It's interesting to note that Fritz, along with Adolf Hitler, and his father, were anti-communist and fucking hated them. I mean, I'm no fan either, but Fritz and his father were fanatical. Many say that both the father and son suffered from paranoia. And young Fritz began to collect an arsenal of weapons traveling to gun shows all over the states. Machine guns, grenades, mortars, you name it, he had it. It was around this time that he started telling friends that he'd been in the Green Berets and that he were working undercover for the CIA. But his lies even got more outrageous. Fritz returned home from school and told his friends and family that he had graduated from medical school and was now a doctor. But his father became suspicious and asked for him to show his diploma. Fritz told his father that the commie horde had conspired to stop him from getting the diploma. Which is an interesting take on my dog ate my homework. He told his father that the only course he needed to complete to finish his degree was a Russian language course, but he didn't want to do it because he wanted a fucking commie. Well, I guess his father figured that were all right, and he let Fritz start doing examinations at his practice. It was at this point that Susie started spending time with her cousin, and she believed his Green Beret and CIA operative stories. Maybe because she was so paranoid about her kids and felt she needed to be protected. Now back living with her parents. But Fritz was with them 24-7 and the parents didn't like him. They thought he were creepy. Long, lingering stares, checking his cousin up and down. It wasn't natural. It was one morning when Susie's mother, Florence, caught Fritz leaving her daughter's bedroom. She freaked out. She knew they'd been getting stinky finger. And even in North Carolina, that ain't the thing to be done. So the mother had a talk with her daughter and told her it weren't appropriate to be fucking around with her first cousin. But surprise, surprise, Susie threw a shit fit and snuck out with the kids in the middle of the night and didn't tell her parents where she was for over a month. And they were beside themselves worried about their young grandsons. As was her way, Susie used her kids as a pawn to punish people who didn't give her what she wanted. At this time, she started to become estranged from other family members, including her grandmother, who she was very close with. In fact, anybody who tried to warn Susie about creepy Fritz were cut from her life. But little did Susie know that Fritz was seeing multiple women on the side. He'd also been married until his wife found out he wasn't a doctor and she left him. Whether Susie knew it or not, a lot of people around Fritz knew that he was 10 pounds of shit and a 5 pound bag. The wannabe doctor had a habit of developing relationships with women much older than himself. 
gristle one may lyrically wax instead of the prime beef. And profile-wise, they always had older kids, usually boys. It seemed that Fritz always needed to be the hero, impressing the young boys, regaling them with tales of Green Beret and CIA operative actions. Taking them out into the forest, camping, shooting animals. A real honest-to-goodness tough guy, and at first, the women loved it. The kids, too. But eventually they all got sick of his talk of conspiracies and vitamins and... And like any bullshitter, he started mixing up his stories. He also told the women that he wouldn't go down on them because it was dirty and unhygienic. Which ain't gonna win any woman over. And when one of his girlfriends threatened to go to his family and tell him that he wasn't a doctor, he threatened to kill her and him. A joint suicide of sorts. I'm gonna go on the record here by saying I don't trust any man who don't like pussy. One by one, the women that Fritz were knocking about with started leaving him when they got fed up at eating the bullshit sandwich he was serving them, with the only one left being Susie. After two years of legal wrangling, Tom was finally getting to see his boys. In early June 1983, Tom Lynch married his young dental assistant, Kathy Anderson, and the boys were coming to New Mexico for the summer. When they arrived, the father was shocked at the condition of his two young sons. Pale, sickly looking, nervous, like fleas on a burning kitten. They looked like they hadn't had their teeth brushed in months. What seemed more bizarre to Tom was that they had brought a large bag of vitamins with them and told under no condition should they miss taking those vitamins at their appointed times. Tom told the boys they didn't need to take the pills, but the children were terrified and they seemed to have a set list of topics that they were unable to discuss. But after about a month, the boys started to relax and be the children that Tom remembered, and he threw the so-called vitamins in the garbage. It was during the visit that the boys told their dad that their mother had now moved in with Uncle Fritz and that he was getting balls deep with their mother while regularly taking the boys out camping into gun shows. I mean, not at the same time he would gotten balls deep in their mother. You know, separately. Not wanting to make the boys feel like they'd done anything wrong, Tom said nothing to them, but noted that his ex-wife was more than just kissing his cousin. But one thing the boys didn't tell their father was that Uncle Fritz were now telling the boys they had to call him Papa. My dentist once asked me to call him Dave. When the two children returned home to Susie and Papa Fritz, well, I guess Papa Fritz got sick of hearing about all the nice things the kids had to say about their father. And he decided to do something about it. And he started telling tales. Telling Susie that he had FBI information from his pals in the bureau that her ex-husband was a drug runner and that he'd been using the kids as mules to smuggle Yeho across the border into Mexico, making Susie even more paranoid. He also told her that from his CIA informants, he felt that Tom was definitely planning to kidnap the young boys, possibly to take them to Mexico, use them as sex slaves. After this, Susie started limiting even the phone calls between the boys and their father. And when she did allow them to talk, Papa Fritz recorded the conversations. And from then on, any gifts, letters, or presents that were sent to the boys from Tom or his family were thrown into the garbage unopened. When Dolores would mail her grandsons homemade cookies and brownies, 
which she knew that they loved. Susie would throw them in the garbage while the boys watched, telling them that she believed that the grandmother was trying to poison them. But it wasn't just Susie who was getting nuttier and nuttier. Papa Fritz, by all accounts, was beginning to even worry his close friends, with one of them recounting a tale where Fritz said he'd made homemade bullets with cyanide. The friend figured that it would take things too far, considering Fritz was supposed to be a doctor and save lives. Fritz also became obsessed with explosives, with an ever-growing hate list. Blacks, spicks, Indians, you name it, he hated it. But he also hated Susie's side of the family, the Sharps, who he figured looked down on him and his father, who he worshipped. It was at this point that even Fritz's closest friends were starting to catch on that the only degree that Fritz had were a first degree in lying, and that the Nazi-loving Jew-hater had no medical license of any kind. Because something didn't sit right, he seemed to have a lot of spare time for someone who were a doctor. And when a couple of his amigos went to the North Carolina Board of Inquiries to report their so-called doctor friend, they were shocked to find out that no one seemed to give a fuck about a guy parading around pretended to be a doctor, so they took the information to Fritz's mother, who showed the same lack of interest. Then to the renowned Dr. Klinner, Fritz's father. Dr. Klinner told them they should mind their business and that it were a family problem. It's unknown if the doctor ever confronted Fritz about it. It was after this that Fritz, perhaps after being reprimanded by his father, enrolled himself into a two-year course to become a dentist, but dropped out only after seven months. Yet after all of this, he continued to walk around in his doctor's coat with a stethoscope around his neck, administering drugs and vitamins to whomever would take him. Most people still believing that he was completing a medical internship. It was in the spring of 1984 that Dr. Klenner's health started to decline, and he was admitted into hospital for heart problems. While in hospital, bizarrely enough, Fritz took over his patient list and it was at the age of 76 that his father died. When approached at the funeral about who would be taking over his father's patients, Fritz smiled and proclaimed that he would. It was at this point that more than one person thought that with the death of Dr. Fred Klinner, the shit would hit the fan because he was the only one keeping his son in the real world. And when he started taking on his father's patients, giving diagnoses, advising on cancer, people were getting worried. One of those people concerned was his aunt, the big district court judge that his cousin Susie had been named after. And as she knew the head of the medical school in North Carolina, she started doing a little poking around. She was shocked to find out that Fritz had never been enrolled at the school. So she contacted her sister, Annie Hill, Fritz's mother, as well as a family lawyer, and soon after, the clinic was closed for good. Many of his former patients had no idea that Fritz wasn't a doctor. It was at this point that the fake doctor and Susie Sharp became inseparable, and he even stopped sleeping with other women. She saw Fritz as her knight in shining armor. And I guess that he saw her as the only woman left 
that believed them. It was July of 1984 that Tom was enjoying spending his second summer with his two children. They'd gone to Disneyland together, toured the Grand Canyon, and when they'd returned, they planned to visit their grandmother Dolores for two weeks in Kentucky. But as the family were preparing to leave, they received some shocking news. The police phoned from Kentucky and told Tom that there'd been a double murder. His mother Dolores and his sister Janie had been gunned down at Dolores' home. It was on Sunday when Dolores had just returned home from church and she was parking her car and walking to the house. Where she was shot in the back with what police described as a powerful weapon that almost blew her clean in half. Cops say she was dead before she hit the ground. Janie Lynch, Tom's pretty 39-year-old sister. Now, she wasn't so lucky. She was in the house, barefoot, wearing shorts and a tank top, making herself a drink. When she would have heard the gunshot, stepped outside to investigate, and she would have saw her mother's killer. And she would have started running, running for her life. And before she got through the front door, she was shot in the back. And a blood trail showed that she clawed her way through that house. She tried to pick up a phone on the wall, but must have saw that the gunmen were too close and continued moving through the house to find a place of safety. From there, she ran into a hallway and attempted to set off a panic alarm and failed. Then, running into her mother's room, she navigated around the bed into a sunroom where she was now trapped. She then bent down into a little ball and tried to hide but was shot close range in the neck that took her head right off. She was dead instantly. And that, my friends, is the conclusion of part one of Blood Relatives. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, don't be shy and subscribe and be here for part two. And this is Deadbug saying I'll see you next time when the lights are out and no one's home. Well, that is unless you're a dude. We can just have a beer together. Adios. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home 
at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. 